On our last episode of the year, we have a very even 1954 season to talk about. Some strange things are happening at St Kilda. The injury curse well and truly hits the reigning premiers. Geelong are back in business. South Melbourne turned to another ex-champion. Hawthorne beat Melbourne to a hot new South Australian recruit. And Ron Barassi, Ron Barassi begins his on-ball role that will change the face of the VFL. And finally, disaster strikes at Windy Hill in round nine with fans in tears. All this and more coming up. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say uh, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules history podcast, taking a deep dive into the history of the game. We have no real qualifications to bring this show to you other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, especially as Essendon and Melbourne supporters. Lots and lots of books. Um, yes, my name is Tim. I've got next to me Charlie. Yes, <laughs> I win. Hi, guys. And the Kazman. I'm here, and footy history. I, I absolutely love footy history. Great. You've come, come to the right place then. You've shown up on the right podcast on the right day. And podcasting as well. The last one of the year. Yeah, that's it right. It's our last one of the year. Oh, our third be. full year of podcasting. 72-odd episodes, I think, we're up to now. Time flies. Well, we're 1954. That's it. So much has happened this season. Yeah. I can't mm. take so it all legends. in. I mean, we had war. I mean, and this is all stuff we'll be talking about, obviously. Now, wrap-up episode. Yes. So it's our last season we'll cover, not our last yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch we've out for our, that. We've got the big one coming up. Where we pull it all together. We do. <laughs> um, so, yes, we're here in the Kick Cave. Before we get to some history, uh, hello, listeners in Sweden and Russia. I know we're going gangbusters still in Russia. Uh, the U.S. states of Iowa, Missouri, Texas, and Virginia. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and the province, the Canadian province of Ontario. Ontario. Oh, lovely. Yeah, which I've been to, lovely part of the world. Oh. I haven't been to Ontario. Oh, well, oh. Didn't get yeah. to get there. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to get back. over there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, now, like we do all the time, let's get to a bit of a, a bit of history. I think. Give us some history. A bit of history. I think something happened in '54. Things happened. Things definitely <laughs> happened. But uh, tell us about the song of the year to me. Ah, the classic. It's a classic. Kaz. Yeah. Bit of Dean Martin. Oh, yeah. That's Amore. It was number three. It was spent three weeks at number one in Australia. I'm expecting everyone li- listening to this to start singing. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they hear that, yeah. yeah. Those smooth, silky tones of that. The yeah, bazooki. Mm. Even though it's not bazooki, an Italian thing. Well, I imagine it's mandolins. Oh, it's start the mandolins. Okay. Yeah. Now bazooki is is great. Yes, it is. Hmm. Ah, okay. So some things some things happened. Good. It was a good time. Um. Let me start with this. On January 7th, uh, the first public demonstration of a machine translation system was held in New York at the head office of IBM. Okay. Mm. On the 14th of January, Marilyn Monroe married Joe DiMaggio at San Francisco City Hall. Mm. Important one, that one. Uh, On the 3rd of February, Queen Elizabeth II became the first reigning monarch to visit Australia. Uh, on the 13th of February, Mawson Station in the Australian Antarctic Territory was established. Oh, good. Yeah, we're getting our claws in down there. 
Uh, on the 22nd of April, Senator Joseph McCarthy began hearings investigating the United States Army for being soft on communism. Mm, the Red Scare is coming again. Hmm. On the 26th of April, we had Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai released in Japan. I think Star Wars is based on that, isn't it? I mean, I think everything in modern, <laughs> modern cinema is based on Seven Samurai, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> Same... Godzilla, the first Godzilla film was also released in this year. I didn't have a date on that one, though. Yeah. On the 6th of May, Roger Bannister ran the first sub-four-minute mile in Oxford. Uh, and since then, many people broke that record. But he was the first one to get it done. He was the one that proved it was possible. Mm. Great what they, what's it down to here? I have no idea. We love the trailblazers. Always. On the 17th of May, uh, we had... Um, the ruling on Brown versus Board of Education in the US Supreme Court, uh, which was a unanimous ruling that segregated schooling was unconstitutional. So they desegregated the schools in there. This mm. mile was 3.43. 17 seconds less. Wow. Jaden Hunt could probably catch that. Quick over short distances. <laughs> On the 29th of May, we had the 1954 Australian federal election, ah, where Robert Menzies' Liberal uh, Country Coalition government was re elected with a decreased majority. Bob. Yes, defeating the Labour Party led by H.V. Evatt. Communists. Yeah. <laughs> The election came, shortly came after the Petrov affair. Yeah, that's why they didn't. Yeah, which helped the government won, survive. Because, yeah, because of the the Red Scare. Yeah, everyone yeah. was so scared of the communists. So the Petrov affair was when uh, mm. I can't remember his first name, but Petrov defected from the Soviet Union to Australia. Yeah. Mm. On the seventh of June, the British cryptanalyst, mathematician, and computer scientist Alan Turing committed suicide by cyanide poisoning. Check that movie. Out. Aged forty-one. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah, have you seen um, it? Uh, the name of the movie escapes me. Alan Turing. Yeah, um, it's about him. Yeah, in the where second Benedict World War. Cumberbatch plays him. Yeah, you'd like okay. it. The Imitation Game. That's it. Great movie. Okay. Um, on the tenth of July, Peter Thompson became the first Australian to win the British Open Golf Championship. Great man. On the 29th of July, we had The Fellowship of the Ring, the first of the three volumes in J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy, mm. published. Yeah. Which. I mean, I guess it's 54, but it feels like it's mm. older than that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. Wasn't it him, C.S. Lewis, who used to hang out in the bar and that's yeah. where they came up with the ideas? Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if they <coughs> shared ideas, but there's... Yeah, they were yeah. yeah. And that's about the time we've lost Sandy listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> she does not Sandy's rate not it. To this. And... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and on the 17th of September, we had The Lord of the Flies published. Oh, oh good one. Yeah. Uh, then early November, we had Rising Fast winning the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate, and the Melbourne Cup. Rising Fast did the triple, wow. which was extremely impressive. And, and that's, that was, that's 54 in a nutshell. <coughs> Excellent. Oh, great year. Um, Thank you, Charlie. Do you want to hear about some people that were born in I this year? I always do, yeah. yeah. I'm always curious. Always curious to see who was born? Yeah. Are there any friends, maybe? Yeah. We'll maybe. see. Are you friends with Oprah Winfrey? Not yet. Okay, not yet. <laughs> 29th of Shout January, out. Oprah. Oprah. Okay. Oh. Not. Uh, 9th of Feb, we had Gina Reinhart. On the 15th of February, Matt Groening. Groening? Groening. Groening. I think Groening. Groening. Yeah. The creator of The Simpsons. Yeah. On the 18th of February, John Travolta. On uh, the 1st of March, we had Ron Howard, the actor, director, and producer. Yeah. Uh, on the 7th of April, Jackie Chan, one of my <laughs> faves. On the 29th of April, Jerry Seinfeld. So these people are all, what, 66? 
66. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 66, yeah. Even younger every year, aren't they? Aren't they? On the 16th of August, James Cameron, the director. Yep. On the 2nd of September, Gay Waterhouse, the racehorse trainer. Mm. On the 20th of September, one of my favourites, James Maloney, the Australian author. Mm. Bridge to Wise Man's Cove, all those sorts of ones. Young adult fiction. Okay. Nah. Oh, cool. You should know. Modern young adult or old school young adult? Like not John Marsden style young adult? Sim- yeah. Okay. Similar. Oh, yeah. Cool. On the 24th of October, we've got Malcolm Turnbull, the 28th Prime Minister of Australia. And in a similar vein, on the 28th of December, Denzel Washington. Ah, yes. Very similar to those two. <laughs> Yeah. Almost <laughs> like their style. <laughs> yeah, and the jackets. And there you have it. Yeah, very nice. Well, let's get to some league news before we get stuck into this season. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. So two new rule changes came into effect this season. Two? Oh. Two. I mean, look, it's, it's, oh, unlike, got... it's unlike the, uh, the VFL AFL to, to yeah, change they, rules, Yeah, they've really got to just sticking with things. Yeah. yeah. We had rule change announcement yesterday. Having like we we two four four new rules were announced last night in in real life in 2020. Yeah, and I think everyone always complains, but I think rule changes is just part of the game. They, they just, always have they been. Have this and complaining about them is part of the yeah, game. True. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, I think I replied to someone on Twitter saying there's been more rule changes in the history of the game than Collingwood lost grand finals. Uh-oh. That's <laughs> that how many there are. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is a heap. Mm. But it's yeah, it is. It's the nature of the game. It is. Um, so, firstly, players who take a mark on the goal or behind line would have the man on the mark stand back at least five yards. Uh, so they've got more space to kick out. Especially uh, with the, yes. the crowd encroaching on the ground. Yep. For some of those no, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, I would also put into the rules that if the field umpire missed a boundary umpire's out-of-bounds signal... What's the out-of-bounds signal, Kaz? Oh, just hand up. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> and the score was registered, then it would be nullified as soon as the two umpires could confer. Ah. Okay. Tighten so that up. if the ball goes out and then... But the it doesn't get called the um, and it keeps on playing, and then someone scores. Yeah. Then that score can be nullified. Yeah, which I think two seasons ago, two episodes ago, mm. that happened a few times. Ah. I think it was some some. It happened to the same team twice. Interesting. No, I think it was probably interesting. Melbourne. It doesn't come into effect with uh, what ha- Harmsy against Collingwood in what year mm. was that? Was that nine? Seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah. The, Controversial. Um, sometimes you can't do the signal because you've got to be running to keep keep up with the play. So the, those umpires have got to get really fit. Yeah. Especially back then when there was, what, two, two, no, one field umpire and mm. two boundaries? Yeah. Maybe just one on each side, yeah. Yep. The God, boundaries. They're lazy these days, aren't they? They're just smoking away like a chimney. <laughs> uh, now, at the end of the season, Melbourne supported a motion to remove the old district system and allow players to choose the clubs of their choice, Ooh. no matter where they lived. That's um, I wonder why Melbourne pushed that. I yeah. can tell you, this was a reaction to population decrease in the city of Melbourne and Paran, which were demon areas. Despite support from Collingwood and Fitzroy, the motion didn't have the 75% support to be carried and thus was didn't That's happen. No. Um, ANFC... But it's interesting, like, we always... We start to hear whispers of things like that and obviously they do eventually happen. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting to see how long it takes for stuff like that to come on. You know, we heard whispers about the... the, uh, the uh, the sub rule and all that sort of stuff for what five years before it actually happened so mm. this is the first I think they always mutterings. yeah they always do it so like when it happens you're like oh yeah no we've heard yeah, it yeah like exactly yeah. for me I thought there was absolute heresy to, to suggest that but it looks like it's been all the way back then that yeah. it was considered um, ANFC member Jack Mulrooney warns of the threat of TV to, t- to football <laughs> he recommends charging a substantial fee and limiting licensing to preserve crowds at the game 
Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't want because everyone just sit home and watch watch football. They won't go to the game. What a ridiculous statement. I know. Well, we, we can say that on reflection, can't yeah. we? Yeah. Um, Jack Hamilton, who plays for Collingwood, he was working at the VFL as a clerk and realised he lived in the wrong district and he shouldn't be playing for Collingwood. He should actually have been in Carlton. I think he was 20 metres out of Collingwood's zone. Oh, really? Um, but because he was a clerk and, and, and worked at the VFL, I think he was able to fix that paperwork himself and kind of <laughs> just, yeah. just redraw the lines. Yeah, yeah perfect. <laughs> um, and in late 54, the ANFC also proposed that the VFL play more promotional games like the... Uh, the Lightning the, Cup and that sort no, of stuff. No, not the Lightning Cup, like the um, other thing they did, the National Round. Oh, yes. They play that around, like in South Australia and Western Australia as well. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Expand the game. Um, now, there was no Lightning Premiership this year. I'm not sure why possibly they didn't have a, uh, a charity to raise money for. I don't, I don't know. No, yeah, that was a year where everything was just cruising yeah, along and good. no one needed any yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> the one year. Um, so, let, let's do what we do. Let's go up the ladder, starting at the bottom, Kazman. In 12th place, St Kilda. With four wins, one draw, 13 losses, with a percentage of 72.7%, Charlie. Yes! So, uh, coach, captained and coached by uh, Les Foote this year. He also won their best and fairest. And Jim Ross uh, kicked the most goals with 34. There you go. Uh, some debutantes for you, Kaz. Max Helmrich, <laughs> Helmrich and Vin Sabatucci. Ah, nice. Rolls now, off the tongue. Les Foote was a champion of where? Um, of... North. North. Yeah, North. Yeah, of so course. So he, uh, he'd been cleared a few years ago to go country, coach up country. Country, yeah. He had been brought back to St Kilda as captain coach, as a champion player. He had to get a clearance from North Melbourne. Um, the outgoing coach from the previous year, Cole Williamson, yep. uh, gave the committee a bit of a parting shot in his way out, saying that uh, uh, they were slow in their recruiting endeavours. Oh, okay. Though everyone was just getting... At St Kilda. Yeah. Enough There's always something. Uh, Brian Gleeson had a breakout season with the Saints, probably because of his relationship with Coach Les Foot, who had coached him in the country and actually sent him St Kilda's way, knowing he was going to be coaching them. Ah, clever. Um, Les Foot's coaching strategy was along the lines of kind of get the ball to me and I'll do the rest. A um, real Laurie Nash style coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it. a bit fitter at this stage. Um, and another one of his tactics, Kaz, you'll like this. Yeah. He installed a piano in the rooms for merriment and morale before games. Yeah. And, I the, like and it. the team would just all sing songs and like, get around each other. Absolutely. There's not enough sing-alongs going on not anymore. Yeah. Uh, round one, they surprised the Bulldogs in, the, uh, in a very even team performance with an 11-point win. Jim Ross was really good in the ruck. Round five, they held on for a draw with Fitzroy, although they were five goals up at three-quarter time and should have really won this game. Now, round six, pre-game, Les Foote cleared the room of all but players, officials and members of the press. Um, which really uh, was greatly appreciated by all the writers of the time and really endeared them to him. They quite liked him that he embraced the press rather yep. than kicking them out. Mm. Uh, in this game, Melbourne jumped the Saints early and shot out to a 34-point lead at quarter time. But the Saints came back quickly with two goals at the start of the second and St Kilda eventually cut the gap to four points. The third quarter was practically even with scores level at three-quarter time, so it wasn't practically even, it was even. <laughs> uh, but while St Kilda ran away with the match in the final term, they booted the first two goals to take a 14-point lead and kicked six goals three to three goals straight in that final quarter. It was St Kilda's best score against Melbourne since 1940. Good on them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that, round six? Let's have a look at what the score was there as well. They scored 14-15-99. Wow. Uh, in round 11, Neil Roberts starred as St Kilda got their first win over Carlton at Princess Park in 31 years. Yay. By two goals. 
Peter Bennett played his last game in round 12, which was a loss to the Dogs. He injured himself and originally thought he'd uh, he'd play out the year and he thought he'd come and try and come back, but he decided to retire early to, a young, to allow younger players to gain experience. Finally, somewhat comically, and maybe inspirational, at the Junction Oval in round 16, a Kelpie dog yes. decked out in St Kilda patterned rug led the team out complete with a dunce's cap. I love that. I read that. Aww. I couldn't find what game it was, so it was around late, later in the yeah, season. Yeah, the last win. The Saints won the game which was their final one of the season by 22. Jack McDonald kicked six and Jim Ross kicked six. Hey. Despite winning the wooden spoon, St Kilda defeated both grand final teams. Isn't no that incredible? Else. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. No. Yeah. Take something out of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on. So in 11th place, Fitzroy, same win, losses and draw. Four wins, one draw, 13 losses. Percentage though, 73.2. Very close. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, so, um, again, uh, captain coached by the Baron, Alan Rutherford, and he was also their lead goal kicker with 31. Best and fairest winner this year was Bill Stephen. Yeah. Mm. Um, so debutants are Gordon Proudfoot. Now, I'm not sure if he's related to mm. the Proudfoot, so I couldn't find out from linking him. No, okay. Mm. Couldn't no, have. it's a long way Owen back. Abrahams, Ron Harvey, Rod Vernon, and Brian Pert, father of Gary Gary Pert, Pert. okay. Oh. Who we know is a Fitzroy person in the 80s, and I think he's at Melbourne now, isn't he? Yep. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, season started poorly. They were crushed by the Cats by 72 points in round one at Brunswick Street Oval. Round five was their first non-loss, which was a draw with St Kilda. Um, and as I said before, they had to come back from uh, five goals down to actually salvage a draw. Their first win wasn't until round 10 when they beat the Swans by two points. The Fitzroy defence holding back the Swans in the second half. Now, before the round 13 game against Collingwood at Brunswick Street, the emergency bell crashed to the ground. Oh, narrowly no. missing several spectators below, which would have been disastrous. <laughs> Game was tied all day, but the Maroons took control of the last two goals of the third and the six goals to one in the last quarter. At this stage as well, Fitzroy was bottom of the ladder, Collingwood was top. Yeah. So this is bottom beating top. They ran away 32-point winners. Massive. Uh, Beams writing in his football um, record that Fitzroy knocked Collingwood groggy in the first three quarters before delivering the Socko punch in the last term. Love it. Also in this game, I'm not sure you you'll enjoy this, Charlie. I'm not sure if you read it. I think I did. A group of Fitzroy yes, players and supporters were offered a series of side bets at ten to one odds to back Fitzroy. The punters collected two thousand pounds, which is about seventy thousand dollars. Yeah. Nowadays, yes. love that. I thought um, I smelled something about this game anyway. Well, no one no one called it like a, a plot. Like I did, didn't say Collingwood <laughs> players had money against themselves. That's right. No, well, let's they call it now. I'm calling that. There's Collingwood a bet against themselves. No, no. Yeah, well, it, was, it was Fitzroy players backing themselves. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm surprised no one's, no yeah. one's tried to claim Collingwood played dead. But, but yeah, but there were no. Well, they're no. not saying that any Collingwood no, no, players no, were involved. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. Um, this win is also number 27 on Peter Carter's best Fitzroy wins list. I love it. Round 18 against Essendon, the Baron kicked the opening three goals of the game as the Maroons took a five-goal lead. Love the Baron. Just before halftime, Roy Boy Jack Gervasoni kicked his fourth, which meant both Fitzroy's Rovers had kicked four each in the first half. They led by 55 points at one stage, but the Bombers hit back with five goals to none in the third. Then they booted the first four goals of the last quarter, and they led by two points. While things swung back and forth for the rest of the quarter, Kevin Wright of the Maroons had a brilliant overhead snapshot that went through. Another point made the final margin one goal. Thus, they avoided the wooden spoon. Uh, in what was to be the Barons' last game. He was quoted as saying, The boys gave everything they had. They seemed to want to win the match as a farewell gesture to me. They did. 
Number 40 on Peter Carter's list of best Fitzroy games. Um, it was Fitzroy's worst season since the Depression. Oh, and the club actually went to the extraordinary length of criticising the tribunal because so many players have been rubbed out during the season. They felt their players received different treatment compared to other teams. Really? Yeah. Wow. Good call. So South Melbourne, 10th place, 6 wins, 12 losses, uh, percentage of 81.6. So the great man is no longer there. He had his one season and couldn't do much with it. Uh, so Laurie Nash has disappeared and made way for Herbie Matthews as coach here. Now I can see you've got the list there of, of coaches. Yes. How many of the coaches in the last like, 10, 15 years have been ex-champions in South Melbourne? Yeah, so we've got... Uh, so we're putting one. something to bed here. Kazali's there, isn't he? Yeah, Kazali. Yeah. Obviously, we're just talking about um, Nash. Yeah, Gordon Lane. So what are we no. saying? No, no. so two. Okay, only two. So it's just the last two and, and Kazali back in the day. And but Kizaley. they have been down for a little while. So Absolutely we're trying to get yeah. to the bottom of it. Yeah, but they seem to keep going like two ex-champions in a row. But they've gone now back to someone who was their coach in... Oh, because Herbie Matthews was captain coach, wasn't he? Captain coach That's in thirty nine forty. There you go. Yeah, a bit like uh, the Cats and Reg Hickey. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've got Herbie Matthews there, captained by Ron Clegg again. Uh, best and fairest winner was Eddie Lane, and he was also their lead goal kicker with twenty eight. Nice. Some debutants are Don Starr, Les- Lewis Leslie, Ernie Payne, Pat Harrington, Len Wedridge, and Kevin Hogan. Uh, so Nash actually reapplied for the job, but with. Uh, not, not appointed. Ooh. Which would deflate his ego somewhat. And very, imagine it having to have that conversation with I know. him. Yeah. Um, and look, Herbie Matthews no, made no outlandish statements and went about the job coaching with minimum fuss. Mm. No bold declarations that we're going to win the premiership. Huh. Uh, round one was a very positive start. And although Carlton led, a, led by 20 points at half time, the Swans came back and held an 11 point lead late. A goal to Carlton's Vin English made, a, made it a tense final few minutes, but South held on for a five point win. They then beat a Coleman-less Bombers at Windy Hill by 13 points in round two. New rover Don Starr living up to his name and kicked three goals. What a star. And because <laughs> Coleman was not there, uh, back, full-back Fred Goldsmith was best on ground. Aye. Dominated. Uh, but then the Doggies brought them back to earth in round three, absolutely hammering the Swans, who only managed three goals for the whole game in what was an 87-point drubbing. Round seven against the Demons, the Swans got out to a 20-point lead in the third, but the margin was cut to eight at the last change before the Ds reeled off 6-2 to 2-1 in the last quarter. Um, worryingly, Ron Clegg limped off while the game was still in the balance and he would miss the next four weeks. Ooh. Round nine, the Swans won another Lakeside pennant match, beating the Saints by 66 points at junction. They now lead this 22-7. <laughs> They've really got control of the... Uh, yeah, it's not coming back. Seven. No, I don't think it is. They dominate down there. Round 16, in the shock of the season... Swans beat the Pies. Ah! Um, they beat them with shock and precision. This was after a dismal first half in which they trailed by 34 points as well. A fighting Herb Ma- Herbie Matthews speech was followed by Clary, Hull, uh, Clary Hall sparking a comeback in the third as the Swans kicked five goals, four to one point at one stage. Gary Seaburn was the hero with the winning goal as the Swans won by two points. Fred Goldsmith was a tower of strength that held their back line together and saved them repeatedly. This was the only win they had in their last nine games. Now, is there any, are there any stories about gambling on this game? Because if there were stories about gambling on this game, then you'd think Collingwood may have some sort of finger in a pie. You would, <laughs> but there's uh, there's more to this story about why Collingwood are bad. I'll get to it. Okay, we'll fantastic. Uh, I can explain why. Beautiful. I can't, I can't wait to hear. Yeah, okay, good. In ninth place, Hawthorne with eight wins, ten losses. Percentage of 88%. 
Yes, so, uh, coached by Jack Hale again, their captain Ted Fletcher again, best and fairest winner, John Kennedy, and uh, leading goal kicker was Kev Coglin with 27 this year. Very nice. Some debutants we've got Warren Hollyoak, Noel Voigt, and uh, Clayton Thompson, Kazman, who has an excellent nickname. <laughs> Thanks for not spoiling it. So, Clayton Thompson, also known as Candles, was a gangly giant. Um, hinting at his nickname there. Forward Ruckman, he marked and kicked well uh, and was deceptively mobile. Um, and um, you said his nickname, Candles, was because of his long legs. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. Candle legs. Uh, candle legs. They make me think like his <laughs> knee is going to break at any moment. Yeah. Sorry, that's all just I can think these, about. Yeah. <laughs> these really just long, weeks. brittle things. <laughs> brittle. <laughs> After impressing at the 1953 Adelaide Carnival when he was Candles. a top goal kicker with 17 goals and achieved All-Australian selection, Thompson was signed by Hawthorne in three seasons with the Hawks. Playing mainly as a forward, he racked up 50 VFL games and booted 54 goals. On his return to Sturt, he was given a license to roam as a ruckman and produce some of his best football of his career. We don't want to talk about when he goes back to Sturt. No. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, lovely man. Candles, Clayton Thompson. Candles. Uh, and I think Melbourne also tried to get him as well, but ah. Hawthorne beat him to the punch. Oof. We have a few debutants. Candles might have regretted that He might have regretted that, yeah. Maybe his hopes melted away. That's it. They were snuffed <laughs> like, out. Like wax. Um, but did we not have John Peck this year, Tim? Oh, we did, yes. Please tell us about John Peck. <laughs> Cool, somewhere I'll, in there. So, but no, this is a man of note. Uh, a ver- um, John Peck um, was tried with varying success in different positions, but he settled in front of the goals. Powerful, and he gets labelled with this intelligent. Yeah, laugh that. Pacey <laughs> and a thumping kick. Peck uh, topped go- uh, Hawthorne's goal kicking list uh, every year between 1961 and 66. Oh, so he's got uh, a future there. Nicknamed Gregory um, after the. Good, I love that. <laughs> I need not say any more, but um, for those, Gregory Peck, the actor. Oh, uh, yes, of course. As yeah. much uh, okay. for his habit of staging exaggerating for freeze. Um, f- uh, as for the obvious play on words, what uh, anyway, um, Peck showed uh-huh. great courage and overwhelm um, in overcoming the handicap of asthma. Shout out to all the asthma sufferers out there um, uh, to play Don't successfully at the thing. top level. It's a real affliction, but not asthma clouds though. No, yeah, write us in. <laughs> he played 213 V4 games, kicked 475 goals for the Hawks, vice-captain of the historic 1961 Premiership team, voted into the... Wait, did I read that right? I won't say that because I'm not sure about that. But anyway, John Peck. Great <laughs> Thank man. you, Kaz, for reminding me as well. Gregory. Um, now, David Prentice resigned as president due to ill health and was replaced by Dr. A.S. Ferguson. It was Dr. Ferguson who became known around the club simply as Doc. He coined the famous phrase... If you embrace Hawthorne, Hawthorne will embrace you. So in the season opener, the Hawks went down to Essendon by 34 points after being overrun in the last quarter, but rebounded well with a win at the junction over over St Kilda. Actually, they held the Saints goalless in the first and last quarters to win by 31 points. Um, Then came the debut of Candles Thompson in round three, ironically against Melbourne. A big crowd flocked to the Glen Ferry Oval to see the clash between Candles and Dennis Cordner, the Demon Ruckman. Yeah. The Hawks were faster and better organised and fought off a late Melbourne charge to win 75-64, to giving them a 2-0 lead in the TM Ferguson Memorial Trophy. <laughs> in his third match, round five, Candles Thompson was adjudged best on ground as the Hawks beat Geelong, so it was worth you know his signature. They beat the Cats by five points, coming from four goals down at three-quarter time. Yeah to kick six goals to one in the final to pinch a glorious win at home. Wow. They backed this up in round six with a six-point win over Richmond at Punt Road in a game where the margin was never more than ten points. 
Round nine was a huge game. Crowd of 45,000 people turned up to Princess Park. Uh, round nine against Carlton, the biggest crowd to ever watch a Hawthorne game at this, at this stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Their score against Carlton of 4-12-36 is still the lowest the club's ever scored against the Blues, although Carlton themselves only managed 5-11-41. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so just a low-scoring affair. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That five-point loss was followed by another heartbreaking loss to Collingwood by four points. A win in round 11 by five points over Fitzroy rounded out a staggering eight consecutive games, all decided by less than 10 points. Wow. The Hawks. In round 13, they accounted for the Saints by 61, which was the club's biggest winning margin for 14 years. Uh, but then they only won one of their last five games against Richmond at Glen Ferry by 23. At the end of the year, Hale declared... We now have more young players with undoubted ability than ever before. With the experience and knowledge we have just gained, we now know for certain that the VFL Premiership is not beyond us. I love how much hope they have. You've got to have hope. Yeah, well, that's it. Okay. Structures D- and hope. <laughs> and and d- candles. <laughs> well, their wins were waxing and waning. Hey. Yeah, and going up to eighth place, Carlton, um, eight wins, ten losses, same as Hawthorne, but percentage ninety nine point four, Charlie. Yes. So nineteen fifty four, uh, coach again by Purse Bentley. Just can't get rid of him. No. And why would you? Yeah. Uh, and co- captain by Ken Hands. Their best and fairest was Bill Milroy. And Noel O'Brien led the goal kicking with 45. Mm. Some debutants are Dennis Zennett, <laughs> Kevin Hunt, and Ron Rhodes. Ron Rhodes. Ronnie Rhodes. Um, they're round one, they should have beaten South, but just fell, fell short. Round two, they lost to Melbourne by the game's end. Carlton had 10 players on its injured list. Uh, Chuka Howe was one of them who left the game late. Vin English took a bad tumble and was taken off. Um, he had concussion and a broken collarbone, actually. Mm. Ken Hands was forced to play on despite a back injury. Um, so really, the walking wounded. So rough. They didn't get their first win until round five, in fact, which was against Essendon. Although they could only manage two points in the first quarter and trailed by 28. They came out firing in the second with 14 scoring shots to one to take a 15-point halftime lead. Jeez. Game was seesawing with scores super close in the final few minutes. The excitement was fever pitch as Essendon attacked three times in the dying minutes. One last shot was touched on the line as the sirens sounded with the Blues clinging to the win by three points. They then beat Fitzroy easily, took down Geelong by ten in a game that Geelong had dominated the ruck. There's actually stats. Geelong won the stat, the hitouts 46-27. And Carlton won the free kick count 32-25 and the marks 74-61. Wow. So as we get closer and closer, stats are available. Yeah, we're starting to... Games. Yeah, in some games. Understand. Round nice. 12, they escaped with a one-goal win over South with Noel O'Brien kicking six. Round 14, the shock result of the round was Carlton's win over Fitzroy, which caused the Tigers to drop out of the four. Keith Warburton, Ken Hands and Bill Milroy were chiefly responsible for this Blues victory. During the game, an angry Carlton crowd constantly hooted umpire Rowe, who who allowed the Carlton men to be unfairly tackled and then free-kicked them on the slightest pretext for holding the ball. Ah. The Blues playing... And then round 15, the Blues played textbook wet-weather football. They won all positions um, against the Doggies. The dog star forward Jack Collins was well held. Tempers became frayed in the final quarter and a few mm. players were reported for striking. <laughs> a, Nolo, few a few players. Just a few. Noel O'Brien played well and scored four goals against state fullback Herb Henderson in the 17-point win. Round 17, Carlton had their last win of the season when they thrashed Fitzroy by 52 points. But the real story of the game was the huge bag of 10 goals from Carlton's outstanding full forward Noel Nobby O'Brien. Nobs. 
Dobbs, how many goals did he kick for the season? Uh, he kicked. Ooh, sorry, Where, how did how many did he kick? Forty-five, I think okay. it was. Yeah. Um, following this game, Coach Purse Bentley said, "Our display in the second half was Premiership football at its best. All players showed great pace, determination, and cooperation." Um, also, two other bits of news from Carlton. Their, uh, their club president, Sir Kenneth Luke, was knighted, so became Sir Kenneth Luke. Knighted for football. His yes. contribution to Ken- Carlton. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and in October, the Blues travelled over to, to Perth and played South Melbourne, uh, South Fremantle in a, in a practice in a game. Nice. Uh, who were actually premiers of the, the league over there. Carlton had to play, hadn't played for seven weeks, uh, and, and there's no surprising that they lost by 19 points. <laughs> So a tired Carlton who finished eighth played yeah, the premiership of premiership players of the waffle yeah. and yeah. lost. Yeah, hey, you get a free trip to Perth. Yeah, absolutely. Take it. Yeah. But they're playing premiership football. That's it. Yeah, that's it. In seventh place, Collingwood. No right. premiers. Oh, yes. Only 10 wins and eight losses at 100 100.8%, Charlie. Not very good. No. You should say that there's what there's only a game in percentage between seventh and mm. and fourth. Log yeah, okay. yeah. Well, it's very, very close. Yeah. You can take it up to second place because they've only got one more up there. Yeah, so. that's true. Only two games between seventh and second. Yeah, yeah wow. Uh, so we've got Coach Fons Kine, captained by Lou the Lip Richards. Their best and fairest was Neil Mann, and their leading goal kicker was Keith Bromage. With 22. Not a lot of goals being kicked no, by lead I mean, goal kickers at the moment. Right up. No. No, not, well, not, not for Collingwood, but not for any. Well, not no, for anyone we've heard of yet. Yeah. Uh, debutantes were Sid Coventry. What? Son of a legend, whose dad is actually the president of the club at this stage. Oh. Uh, he was a ruckman at 185 centimetres, but would only play nine games. This is his only season. Oh. And Kevin, Ruck, so right, Just like his dad. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. I mean, between them, they've won six premierships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin Wiley was another uh, Wiley debutant. Yeah. But look, this, I told you I'd give you a reason why Collingwood yes. lost these games. Injuries. Uh, Almost uh, a new player injured every single week. Decimated. And unnecessary. Well, they... Yeah, they talked about that last year, didn't they? That they, they tried to go for more depth in their side. But obviously that hasn't even helped. Started in pre-season. Lou Richards broke his collarbone in the mm-hmm. intra-club match. and kept him out for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, round one, the Demons challenged them, but the Pies kicked, kicked clear in the last term to win their opening game. Weedman kicked four. Weed. The weed. Uh, round two, Bob Rose led them to a second round win over Fitzroy as the club and Dallas Brooks raised the 1953 flag. Ah, round three, the Pies barely beat St Kilda by a goal, and in the process they lost Frank Tuck to a nine-week injury to his ankle. And Bill Toomey, who hurt his ligaments in the next six. I think the, a couple of these guys are pretty injury prone. They were all injured in the finals of the, the previous season yeah. as well. Uh, Bob Rose then hurt his knee in the win over South, Oof. but he missed a week. But despite all his injuries, the Pies were undefeated for the first five mm-hmm. weeks, stretching back to last year. That's a 14-match winning streak. Across it's the not seasons. bad, is it? But who should they come up against? The Mighty Ds. The Kittens. The kittens, the cats, the team they had broken the yes, the, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and they stopped stopped their streak. In this game, Farold Merritt broke his ankle. His season was done. Ah mm. uh, yes. Good news was Lou Richards was back for round seven against Richmond, which was a loss. Then against Carlton, the following week the game descended into a rolling brawl, starting when Carlton captain Ken Hands. It was a bit too handsy hey. with uh, Magpie Neville Waller. Uh, he's uh, Waller had been giving Matt Blue Max Brand a bit of a hard time, so Bob Rose decided the shirt front win. 
<laughs> the umpire lost control of the game and Blue Ridge said, look, give me a free kick and I'll break it up. Um, so the umpire gave him a free You're kick. joking. Uh-oh. Um, whether it was was there or not, I don't know. Um, but was awarded. The Pies went forward, kicked the goal. Brawl stopped. Game continued. Pies won by nine. Although Bill Rose broke his ankle in this match, ending his season. Oh, my gosh. Coming in to replace Bill Rose was Sid Coventry. He played back pocket against North the following week. In not a great debut, debut game, uh, he played on the North captain who kicked four goals on him. Yeah, that's pretty tough, isn't that? Yeah. Kevin Wiley, another debutant, came into the side in round 10. He played in wins over Hawthorne, Footscray and Demons. Then he broke his leg. He was done for the season. Round 13 was Keep there. going. <laughs> round 13 was their loss to the uh, Fitzroy, the bottom team. Mm-hmm. Round 14, Frank Tuck, previously injured, injured himself again, collided with St. Jeff Jones in a spiteful match with players on both sides Jesus. laid low. Um, the Pies by 28 and took top spot on the ladder back Fantastic. In but mm. then the entire team got Spanish flu. They then <laughs> lost to a Coleman-less Essendon, lowly South Melbourne by two points, Geelong and Richmond to not only lose top spot, the double chance, but not even make finals yeah, at all. Yeah, drop out totally. So top of the ladder at round 14 to not even making finals. Well, yeah. But that would have been in the grand final. They dropped from first, yeah, first to seventh. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm. But look at all those injuries. Yeah, that's killer. Yeah. That's going to get you. Yeah. Climbing back up the ladder, though, Tim. Essendon, 10 wins, 8 losses, same as everyone else. And uh, 107.8%. Same as everyone else, yes. Uh, so, captain by... Oh, sorry, coach by Dick Reynolds. Captain by Bill Hutchison. Uh, best and fairest was John Gill. And the lead goal kicker was John Coleman. Yeah. The Paltry 42. Yes. There's a reason why he only yes. many goals as well. Debutant was Bill Gnaden. Silent G, maybe? Bill Naden, maybe? Say Gnaden again. Gnaden. <laughs> what, GN? Yeah. Gnaden. Gnaden. Pre season, the Kangaroos tried to, to lure uh, two time Birano medalist Bill Hutchinson across as captain coach. Oh. But he was denied a clearance, rightly so. Yeah. Um, so he would have gone. Don't yeah. let him walk yeah. out. Yeah. Money. Yeah. He won the money, but, but they, asked Cole, uh, they asked Reynolds, and he's like, no, nah, we can't lose him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also pre-season Hutchinson and John Coleman got into a very heated argument in the pre-season game um, arguing over positional things they were vice-captain and ca- oh, captain and vice-captain oh, I hate but hearing they that they patched things up don't worry no, good. round one the Bombers smashed the Hawks with Coleman starring Hutchie hit him on the chest from the opening, for the opening goal of the game and by halftime he kicked six goals one including his 500th league goal he finished the day with ten just a lazy ten his 11th time he kicked ten goals or more as you do Bombers won by 34. Dick Reynolds praising his players, saying the boys played with more balance than the previous year. Um, also right. in that match, somewhat surprisingly, gentleman Jack Jones caught the four-week suspension for uh, for whacking Ted Fre- Fletcher. Ah. Not Unlike such, not, him. Not such a gentleman, maybe. <laughs> no, he was. He's, he's an absolute gentleman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but So following that win over Hawthorne, the Bombers had five consecutive losses. The worst start to a season since Dick Reynolds' very first year in 1933. Oh, wow. Uh, in this time, Coleman missed one game through injury, but managed 23 goals across those first four, kicking 9-2-2. 10-9-2-2, two, and two. yeah. Yep. Plus the 10 in round one, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I just read that. Mm. In round seven, they took on the equally poor Fitzroy at Windy Hill, who hadn't won a game either. They hadn't won a game, Essendon won one. And boy, oh boy, did John Coleman put on a clinic for the fans this day, treating them to some of his finest marking and kicking seen for many a day he kicked the club and ground record 14 goals 5 which is still the Bombers record today for most goals by yeah player. wow oh. and his 6 goals in the 3rd were a personal best for him he kicked 11 goals straight from the 2nd quarter 
Uh, also, surprisingly, not surprisingly, also interestingly during this game, the RS Reynolds stand caught fire mid-game uh, that was quickly extinguished. Uh, Fitzroy fullback Arnie Bench comment on, commented on Coleman, saying... He took so many marks with no contact with me at all. He either went past me or went over the top. Most of the time it was over the top. I can remember quite plainly on two occasions I could actually see his feet above my head. <laughs> oh. Round minute. eight against North Melbourne. 20,000 people turned up to Windy Hill to watch a mediocre contest. Coleman kicked two in the first quarter. Second quarter was scrambling. The Bombers trailed the Roos by 25 at half time. But Hutchie, Hutchie sparked a turnaround in the third. The Bombers clawed their way back into the game. At the start of the last, Hutchie found Coleman for his fifth goal from a skyscraping mark. Bombers in front. Then Kaz, disaster. Um, seven minutes into the last quarter, Jack Clark spied Coleman and sent a stab past his way. Kick was a bit a tad high, so Coleman had to stop and prop. Yep. His knee buckled under him oh. and collapsed. I can just see it pulling up. Writhing on the, bra- on the ground, the trainers came and, and took him off. Supporters were in tears. The Bombers actually added four more goals after mm. Coleman left and yeah. ran out 23-point winners. Yeah. This was Coleman's last game. Oh, oh. No, no, I didn't know this, so mm. I'm completely unprepared. So we've got some audio here by Jack Jones, who okay. uh, who we was there. We talked about it, yeah. yeah and, and, and we talked to him and about it. And when we say there, like right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When John Coleman did his leg, I was centre-half forward that day. I was playing centre-half. The centre-half back was out, so I was playing centre-half back. And then I got moved up to the forward line because they reckon John needed a bit of help. Yeah. So the day before he did his leg, he kicked 14 goals at Windy Hill. And I was centre-half forward that day. The next week, our centre-half forward was still out, so I was I went, like I told you, I get moved all you around. Did, yeah, around. yeah. And Jack Clark, you heard of Jack yeah, Clark? Yeah. He's a legend at the club, Jack. He was in the centre, he was coming out, and I only played centre-half forward when, he, when the centre-half forward was injured. And I better start moving. And I started to move and I heard this voice, uh, voice behind me say, Jonah, it's mine. So I said, that's the vice captain, yeah. Oli. Yeah. And he's the vice captain. This is This what I tell the tours when I... Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go next week. I wasn't worried about that at the time, but uh, he went up, came down, that was it. And he was about where that lamp is over there from where... Where he broke down, went off, never played again. Oh. And he retired, well, naturally tried that year. Surprisingly, Essendon won their next five without Coleman, including round nine, Queen's birthday Monday, they took on the Demons. In gusty winds, Melbourne's poor kicking hurt them. They registered just five goals from 11 scoring shots, and Essendon without Coleman saw their forward line playing surprisingly smoothly. Mm. They kicked 4-5 to 2-5 in the wind in the third quarter, then five goals to four in the last to win comfortably. Um, some of the goal kickers across this time, you're wondering who's kicking the goals. Yeah. Hutchie kicked 13. Stan Booth, Jack Jones, Gamble Booth, Harrington, they all chipped in as well. So they, they spread the load and less predictable. Yep. Anytime they don't know who they're going for. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Geelong stopped the run of wins, which stood at seven. They then, Essendon then beat Collingwood and scraped home over Carlton to sit second on the ladder with two games remaining. They put up a fight with Footscray, but went down by 19, and then they were upset by Fitzroy in the final round. Final round, they could, if they had won and Melbourne lost, they would have made finals. Yep. But for only the third time in 15 years, they missed the finals. Third time in 15 years, wow. Oh, wow. So it's a good time to speculate. We've had the greatest game from Coleman, uh, our greatest goal kicker, arguably. Yep. Um, 
Where was he at? What, how far? Like 98 games. How, man, how much further would he have gone? Uh, well, he's 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, yes, I, I, want I, I want this conversation, but should we have it, save it to the end? Save it for the end. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that takes us up to fifth place with Richmond 10 wins, 8 losses. 114.7%. Yes, so the Tigers, uh, coached by Albie Panham, captained by Des Rowe, their best and fairest winner was Roy Wright. And lead goal kicker was Ron Branton with 33. Yeah, they were really crying out for a big full forward. Yeah. Um, hadn't had one for a few years now. Some debutants include Herb Sawatsky and Jim Dean, who was a champion in South Australia, had come oh. across. They'd been trying to get him for a few years. Ah, oh, great. Uh, both the team and the coach really drove themselves over the preseason. Anyone late from work was kept back to train the required length. Ah. Standards. They went into round one against North Confident and at one stage looked like they would win but lacked steadiness in the crisis and lost by nine. They won in round two, beating the Doggies by three goals thanks to nine different goal kickers, so really spreading the load. But between round ten and... Uh, sorry, between round seven and ten, they won four on the trot. Over the top of the table, Pies, Saints, Maroons and Cats, they sat fourth. Uh, but then things kind of got a bit up and down. Round 14 against the Demons at Punt Road. They trailed by 46 points with 10 minutes left, but then launched a devastating five-minute burst, which saw them kick five goals one without a Demon player even touching the ball. Mm. They got within nine points, but their recovery was too little, too late. Demons kicked the steadier to win by 16. Well, good. Um, but yeah, inconsistent form saw them with some great wins over the Magpies and South, but also inconsistent losses to the Hawks and the Blues. They missed the four by percentage and a win. Solid. It was so, so close at the top. It, it was, was incredible. And, and they could have made it, but didn't. They lost, yeah, they lost a couple of good players at the end of this year, so they're in a bit of strife, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken that this is kind of Richmond's second down period. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Of the three major down periods I suppose they've had. Yeah. Mm. Even with the project players coming in. And mm. so after that decisive w- loss, Melbourne in fourth place, 11 wins, 7 losses. and The, the top four. The top four. Last in the top four. Yeah, <laughs> still top four. Percentage <laughs> 121.4%. Well, coming up from uh, what la- last two years previous to make finals, not bad. So this year, captain, uh, coached by the great man, the Red Fox, the Norm Smith. Captain by Jeff Collins. Who took over from Dennis Cordner, who yes. had to resign because of business reasons. Yes, and That's Dennis Cordner was best and fairest. And Noel Clark kicked 51 goals for the Mighty Ds. Now, Kaz, there's a lot of demon debutantes we need to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, it certainly is. What do we do? Do we reel them off? Absolutely. I, I think so. Take your time, buddy. Well, I'm very happy to resign. Just really enjoy it. One debutante for Melbourne this year. Um... You know who I'm talking about. It's Brian Dixon, arguably the finest VFL wingman of his era. Brian Dixon played 252 games for Melbourne between 54 and 68, including grand finals when they happened. Tremendous pace allied to great tenacity, enabling him repeatedly to win possession of the ball before breaking into clear into the clear and kicking away. Perhaps his only real weakness is his ga- in his game was his disposal. I suppose you're running so hard. Maybe mm. sometimes come off wrong side of the foot, uh, which was some su- sometimes slipshod. Mm. However, the sheer number of possessions he managed to accumulate helped to compensate for this. Away from football, he enjoyed a successful political career. Yes. And uh, I've got to mention, life be in it. He was, oh, was, he was he? on the face of life being. I think he helped actually organise that. Remember from when we were kids? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think um, you know he was in those books. You know, there's a life being in a book. And um, can I say something? 
Please. I, he was at a gig once that I did, and that was cool. I got to see him oh, out nice. on the dance floor. Yeah, out there in Hall's Gap. I believe there's two other Melbourne debutants to talk about. Right? Some, Laurie Miffin. Another great, another great stat about Brian Brian Dixon talks about his uh, political career. He was actually uh, one of the people in who headed up getting making seatbelts uh, mandatory Legal. in Victoria. Yeah, nice. Oh, there you go. Story. Saved a lot of lives yeah. and played a lot of great football. That's right. Great man. Uh, so, Laurie Mithen is our other debutante. Um, as resilient <laughs> as he was skillful, uh, Melbourne's Laurie Mithen um, had few peers as a sentiment throughout the, the, his 153 game, uh, 108 goal VFL career, which began in 1954. Uh, only nine seasons. Um, during his time in the VFL with Melbourne, he won two Club Best and Fairest Awards, um, was a member of the Premiership teams, and it was a regular Big V representative, Laurie Mithen. I think we're rolling on to someone called Ian Ridley as yes. well, is that right? Yep. Yes. Now, anyone can tell me something about him? No. Uh, I'll just go straight in. A gritty, keen, energetic, team-oriented performer, Ian Ridley was without doubt one of the toughest rovers of his era. We say that about all these, don't we? <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of good players. Um, he joined Melbourne from Hamilton Imperials and made his VFL debut. Um, dangerous new goals and he booted a total of 228 for the D's in his 130-game career. Did we have uh, Bob Johnson there as well? Bob Johnson Senior? Uh, junior? No. Oh, no, Senior. Senior? No, Junior. Junior. Sorry, yeah, Bob we've already Johnson had Bob Johnson. Yeah, played oh, yeah. in the twenties. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I love him. Do we have anything about him? No. No. Sorry. He also made his debut. Oh great. Um, let me very quickly find something. Lots of great names popping up mm. this year. Have you heard of these players that Kaz is talking about? Oh yeah. Laurie Miffin. Lo- yeah, yeah. Is he related to Lily Miffin, who plays in the I, AFLW? I have no idea. Cool. Laurie Miffin, I've definitely heard of. Oh, Brian Dixon, nice. I sat um, next to at a dinner once actually at a Melbourne. And a Melbourne function. He was a great guy to talk to. Oh, nice. Oh, I wish I had a better so, yeah, story. Son, of, son of Robert C. Johnson. Big Bob was one of the real characters of the 50s and 60s um, in both Victoria and Western Australia. 198 centimetres tall. One of the tallest footballers of his time. He was uh, 19 when he made his debut this year. Lanky in build. He was hard to beat in the ruck contest mm. as he seemed so readily able to get his angular frame into optimum position mm-hmm. uh, against even the strongest opponents. Oh, nice. Uh, exciting news at Melbourne pre-season Fred Fanning came back what oh. for he wanted to play again <laughs> stop it yeah he's like I'm, I'm back hadn't hadn't played league football in six years his fitness was nowhere anywhere it needed to be um, so although Norm Smith acknowledged they needed a goalkeeper a goalkeeper kicker yeah um, they weren't that desperate and no. the return ended pretty quickly yeah and I can't like I don't think their, their relationship was quite fractured also yeah. between the two yeah. of them so D's lost to Collingwood in round one. Round two was their first win. Strong win over the Blues. Ron Barassi played at full forward. Kicked his first career goal. Melbourne won by 19. Um, Because Norm Smith really didn't know where to play Barassi, so he started playing him at full forward. Ah, yes. Round three at the Sardine Can of Glen Ferry Oval. Uh, Barassi was again full forward and was frustrated because he couldn't run uh, where he liked. He he was a bit of a bull. Bashed into players. Didn't matter whether they were his own team or others. This supposedly led centre-half forward Clyde Laidlaw complaining to Norm Smith, saying... Christ, Norm, take that bloke off. He's going to kill somebody. Uh, Melbourne lost. Barassi's opponent was awarded best on ground and he was dropped to the seconds. Um, Now, they beat Fitzroy in round four by seven goals. Bob McKenzie with five. Um, during the state break, the Demons took on the Albertan League, which is where Fish Creek play. Oh, okay. Um, beat them by 214 points <laughs> at your lawn. 
Um, I think Rom, uh, Norm Smith really pushed the team here, saying, you know, don't hold back. We've got to keep the foot on the gas. Yeah, absolutely. Really this drive is, them into the ground. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, building for the future. Round 10 mm. was the game that changed the fortunes of Ron Barassi. Norm Smith, acting on advice from team runner Hugh McPherson, put young Barassi in the midfield as somewhat of a second ruckman. Okay. But in actual fact, he would be playing the role that we know of Ruck Rover. Ruck Rover, yeah. Um, They lost the game, but the move of Barassi to the middle, where he could run all day, was hailed as a success. Uh, And although other players have played this role in teams, like Ivor Warren-Smith, Hooker Renfrey, and even Port Adelaide's Alan uh, Bull-Ravel... Um, we're all known as earlier Ruck Rovers or okay, versions of yep. it. Barassi kind of popularised the role of Ruck Okay, Rover. yeah. Did well, that's, it's interesting. Yeah, when you say it like that, it's like, okay, yeah, we know Ivor Warren Smith was a great player and did that, and the other and Hooker Renfrey as well, but it obviously didn't catch on yeah. after mm. that for some reason. Mm. So the way Barass did it must mm. have been slightly different mm. in order for other teams to be like, we need someone mm. who does that. Yeah. 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 Uh, they beat North in round 11. Round 12 was a loss to Collingwood in the mud, and this put a severe dent in their finals aspirations. Uh, meaning all remaining games were vitally important. Mm. Ron Barassi actually missed seven shots on goal, it was reported in this Ugh. game. Uh, look, they started their kind of comeback the next week. They smashed the Hawks by 77 points, their first win in the TM Ferguson Memorial Trophy match, <laughs> down 2-1. Uh, but then lost to Fitzroy by 11, meaning they couldn't drop another game if they wanted to make finals. Yeah. They beat the Tigers, smashed the Saints. Bob Johnson kicked the three last quarter goals as Melbourne ran away victory victors. Um, but Norm Smith tore shreds off the players at halftime for flashy play he believed to be unbecoming of a premiership contender. He just likes it when they're so focused. They, they go it. in, they've got one mission mm. the whole time. Round 18, needing, to win, needing a win to absolutely seal their spot in the top four with the Bombers breathing down their neck and the Tigers. The Demons had little trouble with Lowly South running away to a four-goal four lead at a quarter time and never looking back. The margin was as much as 32 points before South regained a little bit Norm Clark had a slow start, losing the first six marking duels with his opponent. He bounced back to kick five goals, eight. And the Demons are back in the finals! Woo! By game and percentage. We're happy about it. Jeez, what a tight year. Yeah. Yeah. Love this. This would have been fascinating, like a great year to watch. And if you look at the ladder, if you look at Richmond, Essen, and Collingwood, Carlton, like five... Five to eight, yeah. Those teams probably hold three quarters, 75% of the premierships. Yeah. The teams in the finals... Have got you know Geelong's got a few. We've got a few. The other two don't have any. Yeah, yeah. Some fresh ones in there. Interesting. Good. The next one was North Melbourne in third place. Um, Eleven wins, one draw, six losses. Percentage ninety nine point six. Charlie. North Melbourne, you say? Mm-hmm. The Kangaroos, mm-hmm. you say? And they had been no. the Kangaroos for a few years. I think officially, officially maybe this, this year. Officially this year, yes. People have been calling them that yeah. since 1950. Uh. No longer the Shinboners, but officially the Kangaroos now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, captained by Jock McCorkle and captained by Gerald Marchese. Yes. <laughs> uh, their best and fairest winner was John Brady and their lead goal kicker was Jock Spencer with 38. Some debutants include Len Templer, Gerald Eastmuir, and Al Montello. Al Montello, although he had a reputation as one of the toughest men in football, we like that with North Melbourne. North Melbourne's uh, Albert was uh, careful never to stray outside the laws of the game. Or oh, what does that mean? He's a sniper. No, he's not. Unless he never strays he, outside the laws. Yeah, but you know he's that's right. Guy. Do it without noticing. Um, unless he <laughs> thought he could get away with it. Ah, uh, yeah. So there you go. Okay. On one occasion prior to a night match, he was mischievously told by his his coach that players could not be reported in games of this sort <laughs> whereupon he Why merrily set about the task that? of um, settling a succession of old scores <laughs> in, in the misguided belief that he could do, um, do it with impunity um, and needless to say he ended up being reported 
for the one and only time in his nine-season career. In retrospect, one um, one is torn between feeling dumbfounded at Martello's naivety in believing his coach uh, and full of admiration over his restraint in other games. So and what the, his coach was captain. basically like, this game is like the purge. You can yeah. do whatever you want. <laughs> well, That's night insane. Games. Night games are purge games. <laughs> night games are purge. <laughs> Round one was a nine-point win over Footscray with Jock Spencer back to his brilliant best, leading the way with eight goals. Round two down at Cardinia Park. The Cats had it all over North at halftime. The Roos trailing by 27 points. And they'd only kicked one goal themselves. However, in the third, they booted seven goals, nine to the Cats, three points. And they then held on to the game to win by nine points putting them 5-6 down in the Murdoch Cup. They then smashed Fitzroy and Hawthorne to remain undefeated and equal top of the ladder after four games, but then they lost two games. Round 7 saw them beat the Saints by a goal, but kicking 9-24 meant they should have won by much, much more. Round 9 and 10, the Roos experimented with playing Gerald Marchese, their captain at full forward, while uh, Jock Spencer had been dropped from the two to the twos. Oh, okay. And although Marchese kicked no goals against the Pies, the team got the win by 19. And then he kicked one against the Blues, as North won by three points. By round 11, this experiment was over. Jock Spencer was back at full forward. He kicked two. The team lost to the Demons. Mm -hmm. But then Jock Spencer was dropped again. Again. Following the round 13, loss to the Cats. Lack of form. North won four of their last five games, and the other one was a draw. They beat Fitzroy and Hawthorne, salvaging a draw with Footscray. Um, But Jock Spencer was back in the side. Uh, They beat South and St Kilda to round out the season when he kicked four and six goals, respectively. North qualified for their first final series since 1950. Probably thought they would have been back sooner rather than later. Yes. That takes us to second place. Footscray with 11 wins, one draw, six losses. Same as North Melbourne. Percentage, though, a whopping 130%. Yeah, that's big. That's yeah. a big jump. Well, North Melbourne's percentage of 99. 99, yeah, exactly. Mm. When they lost, they lost big. Kicking a bit more. Yeah, that draw that got kept North Melbourne up there, wasn't it? Um, so, Footscray, coached by Charlie Sutton and captained by Charlie Sutton. Best and fairest winner was Mr. Football, Teddy Whitten. <laughs> and lead goal kicker was Jack Collins with 84. Uh, there's, the, there's where the goal is. There's the from. number. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Charlie Sutton said pre-season. We cleared a lot of obstacles last season in a team-building way. Thus, the team entered the season full of confidence, and that's probably referring to winning a final for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Round one, missing their champion spearhead, Jack Collins, through suspension, I believe. They were jumped by the Saints, who beat them by 11 points. Then round two, they lost to the Tigers, with the media starting to criticise you know, the group, but they kept their cool. Yep. Things finally clicked into gear with Jack Collins returning in round three to take on South Melbourne. And within minutes of the bounce, he had a goal on the board. At one point in the second quarter, the team had kicked eight goals straight, seven of them to Collins. The Dogs held held the Swans to three goals in an 87-point win, Collins finishing with eight. Sutton declared... We've come back and we'll carry on from where we left off last season. Round four, the game against Carlton was remarkable for the exploits of Jack Collins, who kicked nine goals in the first half. Jeez. Six in the first quarter, three in the second... Get around him. Two goals scored from the one incident. Incident. Uh, he was flattened after scoring. Uh, he dragged himself oh. up, and the umpire had signaled he got a free kick, so he put the other one, second one through. <laughs> Carlton rallied after half time. An injury saw Collins call into the ruck, where he didn't get many more opportunities to score, but it did remove him from the frustrated Carlton supporters who actually had wanted thrown a bottle at him. Really? I mean, it's unlike Sounds, Carlton to throw yeah. things at isn't players, isn't it? Round six, they held off Essendon. They held Essendon to their lowest score in 26 years. Four goals, seven. Yeah, wow. Coleman kicking two goals, three of it. Uh, Teddy Whitten absolutely shutting down Jack Clark as well. 
In round nine, the Cats got the better of them, only by four points, but Sutton addressing the players said afterwards... This defeat will not do us any harm. In fact, it'll do us a lot of good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I like... Yeah. You know, a loss every now and then you is not do, a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially a four-point loss. Yep. They had an up-and-down middle of the season with wins over Melbourne St Kilda, a loss to Collingwood and a loss to Richmond in round 13. In, in that one to Richmond, Harvey Stevens had a chance to win the game after the siren, but he missed... Dog supporters complained that the Tigers players crowded the mark and he should have had another shot. They slumped again, losing to Carlton. They drew with North, but against Essendon, led by Gallagher, Witten and Martin, they achieved a hard-fought 19-point victory, despite the Bombers' 77-50 to 50, uh, marks. And in this game, Charlie Sutton would injure himself and miss the next few games, heading into finals. Uh, they needed a final round win over Hawthorne to secure the double chance for the first time, and they did so in emphatic fashion, winning by 83 points. Jack Collins with six. Harvey Stevens controlled the ruck and Alan Martin was huge in the midfield. Taking us up to first place, Geelong. 13 wins, clear ahead with only five losses, 133.1. Yes, the kittens, getting a little bit older now. <laughs> Coached again by Red Cheeky, captained by Bernie Smith. Yeah, so troubles is our stepped away. Yes, too many <laughs> troubles. Mm. Uh, best and fairest is Norm Sharp, and lead goal kicker is Troubles with 55. There we haven't lost him. Uh, some debutantes are Maury Gear and Bob Gazard. Gear and Gazard. Surely his name's his nickname's Gazza, the original Geelong Gazza. Yeah. 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 They opened the season well, defeating Fitzroy in a canter, six goals to one in the opening <laughs> quarter, setting things up. Norm Smith, uh, Norm Sharp, leading the way with the fall. Against Essendon in round three, the Bombers started red hot, kicking the first five goals two to Geelong's two behinds. Coleman with four goals, two of them. But from the start of the second, the Cats hit back, and at one stage they'd had they'd kicked twelve goals to one. They go on their winning ways. Bombers didn't lie down, kicking six in the last, but couldn't overcome the difference. The Cats won by 16. Round six, I talked about the rematch of the 53 grand final with Collingwood White riding that 14-game mm-hmm. winning streak. Cats started red hot, 11 scoring shots to one in the first quarter, set up Ooh. a strong win. Um, and obviously the Cats would be looking forward to that game as well as a bit of a revenge. Yeah, absolutely. The grand final. Yeah. In this game, 100-gamer uh, John Hyde led the goal kicking with three goals. Also, one of uh, probably our favourite umpire at the moment, Harry <laughs> Bitesell. Yeah. Uh, in, in one instance, and we've seen him do this before, Hooker Renfrey was awarded a free kick, but the ball was thrown away by his, his opponent. Um, <laughs> Renfrey you know, went to get the ball, but uh, Bitesell made him put the ball down, so the magpie perpetrator had to pick it up and give it back to him. <laughs> to the crowd's delight. Yeah. Uh, George Ganinian returned in round seven. Uh-huh. Obviously, he maybe patched things up yeah. with, uh, with Reg Hickey, or maybe they just realised they needed his goal-kicking ability. That's it. They lost that game to Carlton. Ooh. Round, in round eight, they had a home loss to the Demons, but in this game, Don Williams kicked the ball into the media box. It's the first time this, apparently this had ever happened. Uh, he had a shot at the press, one commentator said in the outer. Love it. Uh, their round 10 loss to Richmond was their last for the home and away season. So they won their last, what, eight games? Yeah. In round 12, George Caninian kicked five as they beat the Maroons. In round 13, they beat North... Uh, they won their final eight games by an average of 37 points. And across the season, they had five players kick 20 goals or more. Yeah. Flanagan yep. with 55, uh, Nipitrazai's with 37, Rayson 29, Ganinian with 23, and Peter Pianta with 20. Fourth year in a row, they finished on top of the ladder as well. Pretty impressive. It is. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah so that's the season in as, as it stands in the home and away season. Yeah. Like I said, an interesting bunch up there in the finals. Let's uh, quickly check in with Moz and then uh, hear about the 1954 Brownlow medal winner. The Brownlow Down Low with Moz. This 
this year, the gentle giant Roy Wright won his second Brownlow medal, and this time he won it outright, not having to share or have a count back or any of that jazz. He actually won it extremely fair and square, winning by 10 votes. He finished on 29 votes, and then Collingwood's Neil Mann finished on 19 votes, and there were three third-place getters um, John Gill from Essendon, Harvey Stevens from Footscray and Eddie Lane from South Melbourne. We did speak a bit about Roy Wright in our 1952 episode, but I'll give you a quick recap about the man now because he is absolutely fascinating. Uh, he, it was very unlikely he would play sport, let alone VFL football, because he was quite a sickly child. He suffered from rheumatic fever and he had his legs in splints until he was 10. And then he couldn't even play junior football, played for the first time at age 16. And then um, immediately obviously had quite a bit of talent as well as his height, six foot two and a half inches. Um, and once he was plucked by the scouts, it did take him quite a while to get consistent games with Richmond. It took him three seasons to notch up 25 games, but he absolutely made inroads from then on, winning the 1952 Brownlow and now the 1954. According to Peter Blair's book, uh, The Book of Brownlow Medal Records, um, Roy Wright developed gradually. He took a long time to lose his awkwardness, but he learned the finer points of ruck play from Bill Morris. He played 194 club games for Richmond, kicked 127 goals, had three best and fairest awards, 18 interstate matches, two Brownlow medals and 98 Brownlow votes. And that old team of the year, the Sporting sporting Life uh, team of the year? The 1954 Sporting Life magazine team of the year. In the back line, there is Footscray's Wally Donald, Claremont's Ken Caporn and Norwood's John Marriott. The halfbacks are Melbourne's Noel McMahon, Subiaco's Laurie Kettlewell and Footscray's Jim Gallagher. The centres were West Adelaide's Jack Lynch, Footscray's Tom, uh, sorry, Ted Witten, uh, Perth's Keith Harper. The half forwards, Richmond's Jim Dean, North Melbourne's John Brady, Collingwood's Bob Rose. The forwards were Collingwood's Neil Mann, who came in second in the Brownlow, Footscray's Jack Collins, DeLong's Peter Pianto, and the followers were Carlton's Ken Hands, uh, Richmond's Roy Wright, our Brownlow medalist, and Essendon's Bill Hutchison. Um, so rightfully, I think there's four Footscray players in that team of the year. Yes. Uh, and two Collingwood players as well. We've got a, you know, a north of Richmond. So there's a bit more representation from the VFL than there was the previous year. Uh, Bob Rose as well, not... It's surprising Bob Rose, I mean, he was injured as well. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's get to finals. Finals. So the first semi-final, Melbourne-North yes. Melbourne. Yeah, first time they've met in the final. That's it. Oh, yeah. On the 4th of September, in front of 42,166 people. Uh... It got off to a slow start for the Demons. Yeah, um, and before we get into it, Demons only had five players with finals experience, thus had been the turnover since their last yeah. appearance. Uh-huh. North's tactics were obvious from the start, when Demon forward Mackenzie retaliated to North's roughhousing and was suspended, eventually for striking Percy Johnson. Oof. Melbourne seemed a bit overawed by the occasion, oh. uh, and fumbled and were generally outpaced and outmarked. Oh. But they woke up towards the end of the second quarter, and then in the third they kicked five goals to two, as the game descended into a bit of a bloodbath. 
North instigated stupid and unnecessary physical clashes while the demons never wavered from their approach, as Norm Smith would have uh, urged them. Absolutely. Uh, they got the win by five goals. Norm Clark with six. Yes. Uh, and they go on to the preliminary final. That's it. That's it. So final score there, 16-14, 110 for Melbourne defeating North Melbourne's 11-14-80. And you like that, Kaz. I know how much you like beating North. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. In a final, yeah. close-ish game, a bit of better feeling. Second semi-final. Second semi-final, Geelong Footscray. You would have thought, you know, the kitten's coming in with a fair bit of a... A lot of experience. A lot of experience, finishing top of the ladder. But doggies have that that monkey off their back. No, no they've had a finals win. No one's That's going to it, exactly. Them. <laughs> Sutton preached normality heading into this game, but the Cats started well. Uh, dogs hit back in the second quarter to take a four-goal lead at the main break. Doggies were really playing systematic team football with Gallagher and Martin driving the ball forward time and time again. Stevens was dominating the ruck. And he added some goals. Jack Collins kicked four. The Dogs broke a three-quarter time deadlock of 59 apiece to run out 23-point winners. Post-game, Reg Hickey visited the Dogs' room to say they well and truly deserved their victory. Oh, that's Gentleman. very, what very gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that game was in front of 64,686 people. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I, yeah, yeah, so a final score, 11-19-85 to 8-14-63 there. So then we've got the prelim. Because, because Geelong, no, because, because we have the page because we have a pre- prelim now. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah, <laughs> We've had it for years. We've had it for years. Yeah. So prelim Geelong Melbourne. Yes, a saturated MCG as well. Yes, in front of fifty one thousand nine hundred eighty five people on Saturday, the eighteenth of September. Geelong kicked two goals before the Demons had even scored. Oh, Took no. them until the seventeen minute mark to score. Oh, overawed again. Yeah, the Cats' ex- superior experience controlled the game in the first half, but the do- Demons always managed to strike back and stay within a few goals. Yep. So things never got too out of hand. In the second half, the, the weather cleared, and at the start, Leo Turner of the Cats kicked a mammoth sixty meter goal and. Cats appeared to be in full control, but this was the end of their dominance. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, the D's kicked the next three to take charge and added another three in the last quarter to win by 17. Best for the Demons were Cordner, Williams, Melville and Collins. Yes. Your beauty. Yes, yeah, so final score there, 10-7-67 to 7-8-50. So Cat, a low-scoring effect. Cats out in straight sets. Yeah. And so, and just to bring it back to North Melbourne, so we didn't <laughs> we didn't just beat them, we were able to get into the next final and win that one as well. So yes. it wasn't a consolation so final win. scraped into fourth, just made the finals. Yep. And then had won your way through to a grand final. Thank you. Thank Which you, North love. Melbourne. <laughs> Stepping now, stone. before we, we, we chat to uh, Charlie Sutton. To Charlie Sutton, here, um, yeah. A little incentive hit was here by a Melbourne supporter. They, a Melbourne supporter, had the promise of a financial bonus for best players in the finals. He sold a bull um, to raise money, and the money from that sale was to go to the, the best player in the, in the finals. Really? Yeah. Mm. Bulls go for more than a, yeah, a steer. I was going to say good bull money. I'll tell you what. <laughs> bull money. <laughs> Hell yes. Um, <laughs> but let's boot up that old way back when machine, which is sounding a bit clearer these days. I mean, yeah, it's getting it's going as far back, no. so things sound a bit crisper. Not ripping through the time-space continuum Not quite as, as far. Yeah. yeah. G'day, Charlie. Now, right off the top, can you tell us, is it true that you had some car trouble this morning? <laughs> yes. I hit a pothole going through Altona. The steering column in my holder needs broken. But luckily, that's the only bad news I have to report on to today. Absolutely, Charlie. Congratulations. The first league pennant for the Bulldogs. What an achievement. Look, they say the chance to make history comes to very few. I was mighty pleased to get that chance today. Now... We don't want to harp on the past too much because we really want to talk about today. 
but for a long time Footscray had trouble winning semi-finals before it succeeded in 53. Do you reckon a club needs to go through a final series or two before it can win a flag? Well, you have to be able to adapt to them. You need a taste of finals football, and I think that's what the Bulldogs needed coming into this year. A very even season. Saw the Dogs earn the, the double chance for the first time, finishing second, especially after a bumpy start. Um, this has to be testament to both yourself and the endeavour and talent of your young side. Absolutely. We really clicked early on and got ourselves in good form. So your win over Geelong in the semi-final was another step in the right direction. Did you expect to win? You only earn respect when you beat the best. Geelong finished on top of the ladder, but we beat them in the second semi-final at the MCG and went straight through to the grand final. Well, was it the best win that you reckon you've been part of, Charlie? It's up there, with today, of course. Geelong have a very experienced team. That win was a huge scalp for us and a great boost. We always felt we could beat them, but actually doing it was a different thing altogether. It topped up our belief that we could win the flag. And you earned a week's break. Uh, What did you do to prepare? Well, during our week's rest, we had the best training session I was involved in. We trained at Footscray on the Sunday before the grand final in front of more than 18,000 people. It had an atmosphere of a match, and the crowd was magnificent in their support for the players. What made it such a great training run? The ball hardly hit the ground. The only thing that worried me a little was whether any of the players were doing too much, and if it was going to take it out of them the following Saturday. But we kept everything lock, stock and barrel, and told the players, make sure you look after yourselves, keep a lid on it, and get on with the job. And what was the plan going into the game? We instructed the players not to go mad. I could look after that side of the business. Everyone wants to keep their cool. You probably didn't expect Melbourne to be the side that you were facing. Uh, After their upset against Geelong, how did you see the Demons? Melbourne had a few tough nuts in their side, like Captain Jeff Collins and Barat. But I told the players, I'll look after the heavy stuff. You just concentrate on playing football. I asked them to play with grit and determination. We were going to play run-on football at all costs and, of course, shop early and avoid the rush. Melbourne had a tougher run to the grand final today. Was that your plan, to run them off their feet? Yes, hit them hard and often play football, football, football. And how are you feeling, Charlie, personally? Obviously, you were injured in that Essendon game in round 17. Yeah, I missed both the last game against Hawthorne and the second semi-final with the hamstring strain. But I was 100% fit for the grand final. You used it to your advantage, we hear. Yeah, I made out I was injured and it worked. I thought we might get an advantage if I wore a huge bandage around my thigh because Melbourne boys would think I was still injured. It worked because they started a younger, more inexperienced opponent on me in John Beckworth. Thought I'd try and upset him a bit, so I started a dust-up with Beckworth and then had another one with Barath. And the trick worked, didn't it? I knew we had them worried because they started shifting their backmen around and reacting to what we were doing. When they put their captain, Jeff Collins, on me, I thought, hello, there's a crack in the armour. We've got them rattled. By then, I knew we were on our way. Now, pre-game, the dogs took the field and then you had to wait for five minutes as the demons stayed in their room. (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought Norm Smith were playing some mind games with it. But to us, it seemed to work. The Demons got the first goal of the match through Noel Clark, and there seemed to be collective groan throughout the crowd, who, who were mostly behind the Bulldogs. There was no worries with us. As you can see, we hit back pretty quickly, and by the end of the quarter, we had kicked six goals straight. Jack Collins with three himself. Now, Charlie, you're usually a back pocket. Why, tell us, why were you playing forward pocket today? Well, throughout the season, we had a tendency to clump and bunch, hampering our movement and generating large packs. So I was down there as the team leader to shout orders and clear space to help Collins outpace Lance Arnold and keep him away from big packs. Now, how did you handle being captain coach of a grand final side and having to match moves against a man like Norm Smith? Did you predetermine those moves? We didn't make many changes. We didn't even bring on our 19th and 20th men, Angus Abbey and Jack Nuttall, which I regretted now, but they never grizzled about it. We were going so well, you didn't want to change it. Our theme was that I wanted them to play football, football and football. As I said, I'll take care of the heavy work. By half-time, the game is still in the balance, somewhat. Cordner winning most of the centre bounces. Yes, but as much as they kicked it forward, our defence was like a stone wall. You adapted to everything they thought they threw at you. We have a pretty versatile side. Collins and Whitten had played in every key position on the ground, and Arthur Edwards in the ruck had played in three or four key positions. Wally Donald was a wonderful vice-captain who would keep the back line in order, and I'd look after the centre line down. Sometimes Herbie Henderson would go for a wander, and Wally would make sure he got back to his place at fullback. And in the third, you really took control of the game there, the Demons starting to resort to roughhouse tactics. Yes. Poor Peter Boxer flattened in a very cowardly way, and Cordner was still dominating. Although his aerial duelist, Brian Gilmore, was a sight to behold. But our boys kept the pressure on, and our speed was starting to come to the fore. And you, Charlie, with two goals? Yes, I took my opportunities today. Just doing my part for the team. Now, Melbourne tried to change things up in the fourth quarter with positional changes, uh, but with, 38, with a 38-point lead, you pretty much did as you pleased in that final quarter, didn't you? We did, although the Demons made us work for it. But every time the Demons resorted to those kind of tactics, I just keep shouting that we had the game won. And then the siren sounded, you won the pennant, and the, the, which was the first of the new teams to win one, and the crowd went absolutely wild. I suppose being the club's first ever grand final appearance caught the imagination of the huge crowd. Footscray supporters went crazy with excitement. Their enthusiasm all day really fired up our team. Uh, there were many great plays today. I mean, Jack Collins with his seven goals looked best on ground to us. Uh, but obviously, as, as captain coach, you see things differently. What were your thoughts? Collins was amazing. But my best three on the ground were Johnny Kerr, Dougie Reynolds and David Bryden. But... The rest of the team did their job as though their lives depended on it. And apparently there's some celebrations planned for tonight? We are heading for a celebration dinner and then we hope to head to the town hall and back to the club to celebrate. All of our fans are invited too and they should bring an empty glass. And uh, is there anyone else you'd like to thank at this time, Charlie? Well, I can see my mother just outside the rooms. I'm sure there is no one prouder in Melbourne than her. When I was a kid, there was little money in the house. Yet mum pinch and scrap to buy my first football and my first football boots. So you can imagine how proud I am to be the captain coach of a VFL Premier side. That's lovely. Lads, I need to run. 
there was a small incident when I swapped jumpers with young demon Brian Dixon. I need to go and chat with him in the Melbourne rooms. Thanks, Charlie. Goodbye now. Great the doggies are finally been able to get yeah. one. Now, that jumper yeah. incident that Charlie Sutton was referring to there was... Uh, so when he went to swap jumpers with uh, Brian Dixon at the end of the game, he threw his jumper towards Brian instead of going right up to him. It fell short, and a tall man, tall big man from the crowd picked it up and wouldn't give it back to Dixon. Oh, you're kidding. So Sutton, what, what we heard there was Sutton going to the rooms to uh, to go and give him another jumper. <laughs> yeah, quite nice. Um, some yeah. stats from that game. Goals. Jack Collins was seven. Unbelievable. Yeah, seven goals in the grand final. Sutton, three himself. Kurt, Stevens, Duffy, Reynolds, and Sockman with one. For the Demons, we've got Elberston, Barassi, Clark, Bob Johnson, McLean, Mithen, and Spencer with one each. Best for the doggies were Kerr, Bryden, Collins, Witten, Ross, and Reynolds. Yeah. I just love that we played in the classic game for the Bulldogs. It was it was us there. I mean, would have loved and to have won it. One of the comments that Norm Smith makes later on is that the doggies taught them how to play finals football. Ah, there you go. You. The doggies would have beaten anyone on that day. If they'd played a representative VFL side, they would have smashed them as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, now, post-game, the Dogs fans were all told to bring their own glasses to, Witten, to Western Oval. And fans descended on Footscray, eager for a celebratory drink on the house. This was stopped by police, which meant the party was a bit of a fizzer. The players showed up at nine after a dinner at a, at a hotel and couldn't get in. So the players couldn't get into no. it. So most oh. of the players went home at about nine. Oh. That's the crowd managed to get through the gates. There's some dispute whether they were actually opened by the gatekeeper or they broke them down. Yep. They spilled into the oval. Around 10 o'clock, the lights came on, but no beer was available. <laughs> um, in November, actually, a victory ball was held. A crowd of 5,000 people turned up to see the premiership, introduced by Charlie Sutton. Nice. Yeah. I mean, what a huge win. And, like, to be... To have that hoodoo for such a long time, not being able to win a final, and then finally break that last year... Once that's out of the way... And then, bang, look at that. Yeah. So... Absolutely smashed the D's. Yeah, what's the final score? Final score 15 12, 102 to 7 9 51. They yeah, literally doubled, doubled the score in a grand final. Yeah, Huge. really, yeah, a really good team. Yeah. Um, reserve winners this year were Richmond defeating Melbourne in the, the grand final. In under 19s, it was Footscray defeating Carlton. So did Footscray take out them? The... No. No. The McClellan Trophy was actually a tie ah. with Melbourne and Geelong on equal points. The only way to split these two was on percentage, thus Geelong was awarded the trophy with a percentage, a 12% better. Wow. 12% better. 12% better. Yeah. Yes. Okay, there you go. Which uh, brings us to some retirees. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's, before we cue the uh, the sad music, mm. we might just harp on about John Coleman for a little bit. There's a there's a, there's a song about John Coleman that, uh, that John wrote, Mike Brady wrote. Yep. Let's play that while we have a bit of a chat about Coleman, because... 98 games, 537 goals, two flags. Huge. John Collin. Well, you wanted to talk a bit about his legacy yeah. and, and things. And what know. what could have been. Yeah, career cut short. Yeah, so he was 25 years of age, I believe, oh. in his last game. So he's in his prime. He's, he's absolute prime. He's kicked. Led Essendon's goal kicking five years in a row. Led the league's home and away goal kicking five years in a row. Yeah. He still won Essendon's goal kicking. Any year we played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
43. 40, yeah, 42, 43, yeah. The first player to head goal kicking list in his first season. Broke Essendon's goal kicking record still holds it. Yeah. Well, in one game, not overall. Yeah. Uh, so, league record 12 goals in his first game. Kicked 100 in his first season. Essendon best and fairest winner. Played for Victoria. Yeah. Did, everything. Did so, everything. So, with all these, th- these kind of stats, I suppose you could say, um, yeah. I- I've been really loving um, the, the style he's been playing. He's been double teamed. He's been yeah, yeah. bashed triple around. He's been triple teamed. In, in some of the muddiest. The mud. Absolute muddiest weather. Yeah. So, and I know full forwards like they get double teamed, but yeah, what no. was the what was the final goal tally? Sorry, can you? Five hundred thirty-seven in ninety-eight games, an average of like oh. five hundred turns. So let's let's extrapolate that and say he plays two hundred fifty. Yeah, that's fair. That means he's gonna he's gonna have kicked uh, twelve thirteen hundred goals. Yeah, it's Gordon territory. Yeah. yeah. And is that why he's held in such high regard? Because he went out on top. He didn't. It's got to be. Yeah. It's yeah. I. It's got to be. Yeah. To go out at twenty-five, it's that what could have been rather than watching an an old forward no longer able to really match it. Yeah. You know. That's what creates the There's no. There's no um, lack of luster on the memory. Yeah. Same with artists. Yeah. Snuffed out early. Yeah. He's. 10, 10 goals or more in a match 12 times which is more than Coventry more than Pratt more than Bickley. and they played that many more games yeah, so, yeah. Coventry played 306 yeah um, I think the only player that has a better goals per season like average is Paul, Peter Hudson 5, five goals 64 Coleman's average is 548 5 goals 5 goals yeah why not that's so, yeah, I mean, we always talk about why is it the common medal? Why yes, why is it the Coventry medal or the Lee medal or the... Yep. Well, anything, yeah. Yep. So it's got... I mean, it's... It's got to be that, doesn't it? It's got to be that sort of... The, the mystique around it. The mystique around it, that league. Yeah. I mean, it's... I also think it's got to do with the, with the timing. Well, I think you've heard some of the people who made the decision were the fans or had played with or against him. Yep. But, it, but it is that, that thing of there is a bit of a... A velvet rope between the 50s and before the 50s, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Yeah. That? Yeah. That we hold those players in such high regard that we don't look further. Yeah, exactly. Mm. At, the, at what, what also was. And he was a super, he was a rock star. Yeah. He mobbed wherever he went. Yeah. Um, and then he cut down his prime. Is that better than burnout? Well, yeah. And it's amazing that, um, I mean, I know it was a terrible break, but it's amazing that he didn't even try and come back. Well, there's also there's talk of him kind of walking away from football. He never loved it. He was really good at it, but it wasn't his passion. Sort of like under Agassi, yeah. Like, so it's sort of players who are really good at it, but, just, yeah. uh, but don't like, love the game. Even, yeah. um, and there's not a lot of support there for the, these kind of players either. So. No, it's, and, it's just a tough yeah, thing. You got to toughen up. Apparently, they say like his knee injury wasn't was treatable. A, yeah. Ooh. And I should also say he hadn't retired at this point. There, there was thoughts of become. When's he coming back? When's yeah, he coming yeah, back? Yeah, and that yeah. would linger for a few years to come. And then bang. And then bang. Yeah. Uh, they just decide. So interesting, mm. but yeah, I think I think fun. that conversation of what could have been is humongous. Like, yeah. Yeah. what could Coleman have become? Because it goes one of two ways, right? It goes either he becomes the leading goal kicker of the entire oh, league, yeah. or yes. he fades into oblivion. So what's better? Yeah. I mean, you've got those. Like, you've got Bob Pratt, who 
kind of did probably went for a little bit too long yep. yeah. and his last few attempts of comeback weren't great yeah. and maybe Coleman looked at someone like that who did get injured and couldn't reach yep. his, his best form again I mean Coventry was kicking bags until he retired that's much. it yeah. but the diff- very different game style I mean you're not True. leaping over someone's head at 33 yeah, yeah, not, or, not touching them grabbing or, it before uh, they can even get triple, it double and triple teams yeah yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, and yeah. the stories in the, the TV and the media are sort of also like drumming it up. He would have been, just, it just would have been propelled even further and, and changed the whole game. There is actual footage of him to watch as well. Oh, no, awesome. no footage of Coventry, no, no footage of Lee, no, no footage of Brad. No. Yes. Hmm. All very interesting. Um, all right, let's cue up the, uh, the rest of the sad music. <laughs> Jack Jones. Yeah. Gentleman Jacks, 175 games, 156 goals. Played seven grand finals in five years for four flags. Massive. Yeah. Seven grand finals in six years, I should say. Wow. And what we might do over the over our summer break is actually put our full interview with Jack Jones up. up oh, that'd be fantastic. Well. Yeah. Uh, Max Oppie, Dick Reynolds' cousin, 185 games, 29 goals, one flag. I think he got best on ground in the 42 grand final for tagging Dick Reynolds. As That's well. right. Yeah. Bill Wilson, Richmond, 185 games, 255 goals. Chuka Howell of Carlton, 137 games, 246 goals, two flags. Jim Ross from St Kilda, 139 games, 171 goals. George Ganinian, mm. oh. 87 games, 289 goals, two flags. One wife, one mistress. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Peter Bennett, 103 games, 258 goals. He'd go on to represent Australia at the 56 Olympics in water polo. Ah. Ken Alberston of Richmond and Melbourne, 103 games, 125 goals. Ted Fletcher of Hawthorne, punched out by Jack Jones, 129 games, 51 goals. <laughs> Mr. Gentleman. John Hyde of Geelong, 108 games, 12 goals, two flags. Alan the Baron Ruffman, 222 games, one Brownlow, one flag. And a slew of goals in there as well. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. James Jamison, umpire, 171 games, seven finals, two grand finals. Well, oh, thank you for your services. Tim, I'm loving your memory of, and linking the other little little things in there. I'm really enjoying that. Great well, effort. The umpires are, are a big part of the game as well. They certainly are. But the other the other players as well, all the extra little mm. things you've just remembered there off the top of your head. Yeah, I mean, I wish we could talk about all players, but this podcast would never end. <laughs> <laughs> one of those yeah just going on each episode would go for 24 hours it'd be a marathon <laughs> yeah now the other thing about 1954 was it, the, it was the first year the WEG poster was produced for the Premier team so WEG also known as William Ellis Green um, had been working with the newspaper The Herald for a while doing cartoons um, he'd taken over Sammy Wells when he went on holiday in 46 and um, the owner of the Herald Sun at that, or the Herald at that stage really liked his work so they kept him on um, and this was the first year he began drawing so the 1954 uh, premiership poster of the Bulldogs is one of the most sought after and yeah we know what an institution the WEG posters became alright um, let's, let's wrap up the season yes Premier's Casman um, <laughs> you hit me so um, it was Footscray was the very first premiership I couldn't get Geelong out of my head for some reason well I just had a stroke Brownlow medal the Brownlow medalist was Roy Wright of Richmond ah. with 29 votes leading goal kicker Jack Collins he was Footscray. Jack Collins 73 in the home and away season 84 in Total, the yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wooden spooners, Kaz. St Kilda. Yeah, they're seventeenth. No surprise there. Ooh. Four and a half wins. They're racking them up. Uh, the Mac- the Coulthard Shield High score was Essendon. Wasn't a wasted year. 
1345 was the high score. Massive. Those premiership tallies, let's have a look at them. Okay. Collingwood with 12. Essendon, 10. Carlton, 8. Fitzroy, 8. Melbourne, 6. <laughs> Geelong, 5. Richmond, 5. South Bastard. Melbourne, 3. Footscray, 1. Yeah, 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 go on the screen. Add another one. All right, Kaz. Candles. Candles? You don't even want to hear Easy. the rest? No. <laughs> Tell like us what they are anyway. Hollyoke, Max, Max Helmrich. There's some very good football ben names Sabatucci, there. Gordon Proudfoot, Don Starr. That was a good one. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, Dennis Zunart, Kevin Wiley. Do, you, is it, do I Zuna? bother or are we just going to There's no competition. Okay. Zunart sounds like sort of a Borat thing. <laughs> <laughs> it does. All right, yeah, Candles. Candles. <laughs> um, yes. Candles is Go. the most name. Uh, fun. So, before we get to Big Red and we, we go around the grounds to find out what's happening in Australia, um, we will have our... Sur- I think our survey mm. should be up and running now if you want to vote in our end-of-year kind of awards. Yes, yeah. tell us what you think, what one your favourite things were. One of those will be best, na- best nickname. All right. Candles is up there. Yeah, Candles come on, guys. There. Candles, the Baron. Yeah. Nipper. There's, there's so many good nicknames. Yeah, there are. Um, on, and it's other important. Things will be, uh, so this is our last season we'll be our covering in 2020. We're going to do Which a best. 2021 is just a demons laden yeah. season. <laughs> so, demons fans, or if you've got friends who are demons fans, get, get on, on board for 2021. Tell them, tell them next year is the year. It's going to be a great year in so many ways. Because so we're going to actually win the flag in yeah. 2021 <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, so we'll be getting back with our big wrap up episode soon where we'll cover. 1938 to 1954 everything we've kind of covered this year maybe we need to secretly um, record some of the arguments that we have about maybe. who should be our, in our team of the maybe we should uh, start a Patreon yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so we'll also make our team of our team of the year yeah. which is always controversial yeah. and fun. always controversial Tim you're taking this very well in your stride here I, like I it. love it yeah. it's going to be good You've got to suffer through 16 Essendon premierships, so you know, what's a few more Melbourne ones? So I know you're going to shut up for the next 50 episodes after. <laughs> no, that's right. Oh, God. Let us take it, Tim. Let so us have thank it. thank you for listening. Yes, thank that's you, right. guys. And uh, Recommend us to friends over summer. What, what better way to listen to a football podcast than down at the beach... That's it. Camping over stick, summer. Stick the pods in, lie on your uh, towel. You've got, a, you've got a long drive to do. That's um, it. Yeah. Kids and wife in the back back on a pretty podcast for them they'd love it teach them about the history of the game yes because not enough people know about the history of the game and it makes you appreciate what we've got now just that much more absolutely well said um as usual so yeah as always please uh yeah continue recommending us we're looking forward to uh to pulling that yearly episode up up and uh check out our website as well Yes, good, all, all good our stuff things we up talk there. about the uh, the Lakeside Pennant tallies, the Murdoch Cup, the TM Ferguson, mm, all, lots of stuff all that there. stuff we talk about is there. If we're not uh, just making it up on the fly. Yeah, <laughs> all the all the past winners of the, the McCracken Name Award, they're That's all right. there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And uh, so here's Big Red and and Huru. Big Red's local footy roundup, all your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Um, let's take a look for the last time this year about what is happening in the world of football around this great land of ours. So we'll head to South Australia first, and in a lopsided South Australian Football League grand final, Port Adelaide won an absolute thriller, beating West Adelaide by three points, this win kicking off an era of absolute dominance by the Magpies. Sturt's Len Fitzgerald took out the McGarry medal. North Adelaide's William McKenzie won the goal kicking with a paltry 67. 
Over to Perth now in uh, the Waffle. South South Fremantle took on East, and after the first quarter, it looked like East Fremantle would run away with the win with six goals to three. However, they would only kick three more for the game. South Fremantle would add another 18 goals to win by 78 points. Um, in the league, Merv McIntosh won his second Sandover medal in a row, and Bernie Naylor won another goal-kicking award. Not quite the 167 goals of the previous season, only 133, taking out the goal-kicking in 1954. Back to Victoria now in the VFA. Williamstown knocked off the borough, Port Melbourne, by 32 points. The leading goal-kicker for the season was Peter Schofield of Moorabbin, who kicked 95 goals for the home-and-away season and 96 overall. Um, he actually sealed the title in Moorabbin's final home-and-away match for the season against Sandringham in a game where he kicked a whopping 22 goals, including all 16 of Moorabbin's second-half goals. Um, amazing. The JJ Liston Trophy was won by Ted Turner, not the media mogul, uh, who actually played for Brighton. He polled 39 votes. In Tasmania, the Hobart Football Club uh, began playing their fixtures at North Hobart Oval from this season due to a dispute between them, the TANFL, and the Tasmania Cricket Association. Um, also, its co-tenant, the Hobart Greyhound Racing Club, uh, over rental costs, and this would see the ground, their original home ground out of action for quite a while. Um, wouldn't affect them, though. Hobart would go on to win the league grand final, 82-72 over Newtown. Other winners in Tassie were City and Burnie. Uh, some other winners around the country, uh, Kalgoorlie City going back-to-back -back in the Goldfields League, Yarram in the Alberton League, Western District Bulldogs go back-to-back -back in Queensland. On the three-team King Island League, we've got Curry taking out the, the title. In the Northern Territory, Waratah won their 11th Premiership title, defeating the Buffaloes in the grand final by three goals. The West Broken Hill Robins won the Broken Hill League, and finally the Old Melburnians Won the Vaffa by five points against the Uni Blues. Uh, and kick team, that is all for 1954. Uh, that rounds out a fantastic season that we've had this year. Uh, covering football, we'll be back next year. Uh, but in the meantime, everyone, kick straight. To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.